Hello, everybody. Once again, I want to welcome you to our Wednesday podcast for BibleStudyPodcast.org. This is Toby, and today is April the 25th. And of course, Wednesdays, we go over apologetics and cultural issues. This is one that you all have probably been looking forward to. I've gotten a lot of emails regarding my stance on evolution. Today is the day. Today is the day we're going to go over it. I was going to go over it last week, but of course, the Virginia Tech shootings happened, and I felt that maybe it was necessary to cover that instead and talk about some of the problems that we as Christians might encounter in the face of something like that. And again, you know, I want to thank those of you who have been emailing me. It is such a blessing to me. It's so encouraging to me to hear from you guys. And you know, that's one of the main reasons I do this is to know that you are growing and that you're getting something out of this. So thank you so much to those of you who have written me and encouraged me in that way. I really do appreciate it. And God bless you. Thank you so much. I hope that all of you have taken the time to listen to Justin's podcasts on Fridays. I have really enjoyed them myself personally so far, and I I only see this study getting better in the book of John, because that's another one of my favorite books, and I think he did a a really good job with it so far, and, and he's about to get into some really deep stuff. So make sure you guys are listening on Fridays. This summer, we might actually be adding another day of podcasting. I'm not sure. But as you might know, Justin and I are both in seminary. And as soon as school is out for summer, I might be taking a couple summer classes, but I'm going to have a little bit more free time this summer. So I'm thinking about actually doing our Roman study twice a week instead of just once a week. And if if you like that idea, you know, let me know. Just go to BibleStudyPodcast.org and click on contact and that'll email me. Let me know if you like that idea, because at the pace we're going, let's be honest, it's going to take us like two years to get through the Book of Romans, and if we can get through it faster than that, by all means, I think, you know, we probably should. Let's go ahead and get started with today's topic, though. It's not going to be a long podcast. I promise not to keep you guys here half an hour today, but, you know, we definitely have some points to cover, but let's just start with a quick word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the way that you have demonstrated your love to us, Father and for giving us this means of communication, this podcast ministry, Lord. We thank you that you have provided it. We thank you that you have blessed it. And we just pray, Lord, that today questions in people's minds would be answered and we would learn more about you and your word for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, what I've got for you today is five reasons that I reject evolution. I do reject it outright. But let me let me qualify that really quick. I don't deny natural selection. That's something that we can observe in nature. It's things that we've seen. Let's say you've got a fish, and the fish are half gold and half black. And there are fishermen who go into this lake where these fish are found. And if they see a gold fish, if they see gold in the water, they spear it. They take a spear and they jab it into the water to get the fish. Okay. That right there will make it a lot more likely that any fish with any hint of gold on them will die, will be killed by predators. So this is something that we can observe. You know, the goldfish get killed. The ones that are more black are more likely to survive. The ones that are more gold are more likely to be eaten. And that's something that we've observed time and time again in nature. You know, if there's a bug that has wings and it it lives by the ocean and a big wind comes up, 
you know, the wings are probably going to get caught by the wind and the bug will be brought out into the ocean. But if there are some bugs that have smaller wings or no wings, those bugs have a better chance of not being blown out into the sea because maybe they can't get up into the air. I totally agree with that type of natural selection. That's called macro evolution. There's no change in the molecular structure of the insect or the animal. Instead, it's just one characteristic becomes dominant because that characteristic enables that insect or that animal to adapt better to its living environment. And that's fine. I believe in that. I, you know, that's something that we can document, that we can see. And so I have absolutely no problem with accepting that type of evolution. Again, that's called macro evolution. But here's, here's my five points why I reject evolution at the molecular level. And that's called micro evolution. And that's the type of evolution that they teach in our schools. You know, basically molecules to man. That the origin of man is found in this primordial soup you know, from 15 billion years ago or, or whatever they're, they're saying now. And eventually the, those molecules started forming together and all of a sudden you had DNA and then, and then you had fish and then the fish got out of the water and the, the fish became reptiles and the reptiles became birds. And, you know, sooner or later, you know, you, here we are, you know, all as a result of this primordial soup. I reject that outright. And here are five reasons that I completely reject that notion. The first reason I reject it is the Precambrian explosion. And let me explain what that is. You see, if evolution is true, what we should find as we dig deeper into the earth is simpler and simpler life forms as you get deeper and deeper into the earth. But instead, what we find is as you go into the earth's crust, you will find that the same animals that we have today are in there. And once you get to the base level, to the Precambrian level of the earth's crust, all of a sudden, there's this enormous explosion of life. And they're not just simple life. It's very complex forms of life. It's animals that we see today. And when you go lower than the Precambrian level of the Earth's crust, what do you find? You find nothing. There is no progression of the complexity of life found in the Earth. It would be there if evolution were what happened, but that is not what we find in the Earth's crust. That's not what we find when we dig into the Earth. What we find is that all life showed up basically at the same time, and that actually does not fit with evolution at all. That fits with the biblical narrative that God created everything all in a very short amount of time. And so because the geological record has no trace of evolution in it. That's the first reason that I reject evolution. The second one, this is more philosophical, but it still applies. Number two is the potential for an effect cannot be greater than the potential of its cause. And here's why. Because if there were more potential in an effect, where would that extra potential have come from? It would have come from nothing. And does something come from nothing? Of course not. There's a principle of causality in everything, except for the first cause, and that would be God. But part of the principle of causality is that the potential of an effect can't be greater than the potential of its cause. If we're going to go by the physically observable laws of nature here, something must come from something. Intelligence doesn't come from nowhere, and to assume that we came from this primordial soup with that is absolutely brainless assumes that 
throughout the generations, throughout the eons of generations, information developed. Information has intelligence. So it's assuming that over the ages, information increased. But that's not what we find in nature. If we're going to play on a level playing field here with the evolutionists, we're going to keep it scientific. So the notion that the potential of an effect is greater than the potential of its cause has to be completely disregarded because it's something that we have never, ever, ever seen in nature. It's never been observed. They have presupposed it because that's the only way that they can make evolution fit. And why do they have to have evolution? Because that would deny the existence of God. It's a secular humanist movement, if you look at the history of it. And to assert that an effect can have more potential than its cause is absolutely ridiculous. It has never been observed. There's no instance where an effect had more potential than its cause. So essentially, the only way that evolution works is to deny the principle of causality. And that's not scientific. And we're talking about science here, right? Okay. Anyway, moving on to point three. Number three, the third reason I reject evolution is there has never been a single scientifically documented case in which an increase in genetic information is found in the offspring of a species. Now, this point kind of logically follows after point two, but here's the thing, you know, instead of finding that there's an increase in genetic information in the offspring of a species, instead, to the contrary, what we find is that there are thousands of documented cases, scientifically documented cases, in which there's a loss of genetic information, such as dogs, for example. Let's take the poodle. The poodle is obviously related somehow to other dogs, but how? Well, the poodle is actually an example of genetic mutation by design. What people did is they bred these dogs with less and less and less information until you get down to poodles. Let's take an example of the chow. The chow was actually bred over hundreds of years by the Chinese to be guard dogs. And what they did is they found these animals, whether it's a poodle or a chow, and they found a trait that they liked. And so the humans bred these dogs based on the characteristics that they wanted in these dogs. But throughout nature, whenever there's a loss of genetic information, either the species becomes genetically inferior, there's a loss of information, or it results in death. And if it doesn't result in death, it almost invariably results in an inferior offspring that cannot survive. Now, if you were to bring this to your biology professor and bounce this reason for rejecting evolution off of them, I can almost guarantee what they're going to come back with. They're going to come back by saying, well, what about Down syndrome? Down syndrome is an example where there's an increase in genetic information. And this is predictable. But let me explain for you how Down syndrome works. See, people have 22 pairs of regular chromosomes plus the pair of sex chromosomes, which would be XX or YY, which would determine the gender of the person. And that gives you a total of 23 chromosomes in all. But people with Down syndrome, they have an extra pair of chromosomes at the chromosome 21, which is why Down syndrome is sometimes called trisomy 21. Well, what happened in this case, is that the information on the 21st chromosome actually got duplicated an extra time. And so what you have is an increase of the same information. It's not an increase in information. What you have is the same information twice. 
and this is what results in a birth defect. And instead of producing a superior species, you know, this duplication of existing information only disproves evolution, since Down syndrome actually leads to, you know, mild to severe mental retardation. This is the same as having two dictionaries and saying that you have more information by having two than you have by having one. That's not an increase in information. It's just more pages with the same information as each other. That's not an increase in information. So that's another thing that we have never seen in nature. We have never seen an increase in information from the parent of a species to its offspring. And when the formula for chromosomes isn't precisely the same as the parent, the offspring almost invariably dies. If it doesn't die, it's just an inferior offspring that probably won't survive. And when you think about how delicate the chromosomal structure of an animal is, you realize that there can't be any variation that results in a superior species. And this actually leads into our fourth point. The fourth reason that I reject evolution is that irreducible complexity is everywhere. And you might call that intelligent design, irreducible complexity, whatever you want to call it. Did you hear my example of the giraffe in the podcast we did, Romans, uh, I think it was 1, 18 through 20, part 2? We talked about how the giraffe has this very, very strong heart, and it has to have this very strong heart in order to pump the blood all the way up its neck against gravity to the giraffe's brain. But when the giraffe goes down to take a drink of water... What should happen is the blood is flowing strong enough through the neck that when gravity is working with the flow of blood, it would blow the brains of the giraffe out of the top of its head unless there was some mechanism in place. And we do find that. We find out that the giraffe has a little sponge-like material outside of a valve right outside of its brain. And what happens is when the giraffe goes down to get a drink of water, the valve to the brain closes. And this sponge-like tissue right outside of this valve actually soaks up a little bit of blood to keep the giraffe conscious. And then when the giraffe goes back up, the brain absorbs the rest of that blood from the spongy tissue so that the giraffe doesn't get a head rush and pass out because if a lion or a predator were waiting to attack them, they have to be able to put their head up and run. Otherwise, they would pass out and they would be a helpless prey for the predator, obviously. Well, the human cell works the same way. The human cell is irreducibly complex, which means you can't take a part of the human cell and say that it evolved because every single piece needs every other single piece of the cell. Essentially, this is what that means. It means it can't get more simple than it is without losing its ability to work. And we also see this in animals like the snake. My favorite example is the sidewinder snake. And the sidewinder snake, if we're being honest, it just absolutely makes no sense that this animal would be able to survive if evolution is how it got to the state where it's in. Because how could the sidewinder snake evolve this organ that produces and manufactures and stores toxic substances in its very own body without killing itself? How could that happen? If I were to suddenly you know, have this ability to create venom, it would kill me because I'm not immune to it. And how likely is it that this organ which stores this venom would accidentally or somehow become connected to my teeth so that when I bite down, it would cause this venom that's been stored in this organ to squirt out of my teeth? 
Go ahead and tell me how ridiculous that sounds. It sounds absolutely ridiculous. And that's exactly what evolution presupposes happened, is that there was this animal with the ability to create and store venom without killing itself, and somehow that organ became connected to the teeth, and somehow when the teeth bit down, it would cause the venom to squirt out. And how is it that the venom will kill a snake's prey, but doesn't kill the snake itself when it eats the prey? There are literally thousands upon thousands upon thousands of cases of irreducible complexity when we observe nature. If we're being scientific here, let's think about how complex an animal that stores venom is and how everything has to have been in place all from the beginning. It wouldn't have evolved this ability to squirt venom before it had the venom because it wouldn't need that ability. Just like with the giraffe, it couldn't have the strong heart without having the long neck because otherwise the heart would be too strong and it would shoot the blood out the the giraffe's brain while it's just standing there. If the neck was shorter, it would shoot the brains right out of the top of the giraffe's head. But if it had the long neck before it had the strong heart, then the long neck would prevent the giraffe from having a blood flow to its brain. So the fact is, these things have to have been in place at the same time, because one can't exist without the other, and the human cell works the same way. If you want more information on how the human cell is irreducibly complex, there's a book that you need to read. It's called Darwin's Black Box by Michael Behe, B-E-H-E. And honestly, I just don't have time to go into how irreducibly complex a human cell is. But that book is the work, is the work that you want to read if you want more information on that. But that is the fourth reason that I reject evolution at a molecular level. We've seen that there is no geological evidence of evolution, as there should be. We've seen that there's no biological evidence for it. It's impossible biologically. We've seen that there's no physical evidence. It's logically impossible. I mean, what else does an evolutionist need? The reason that they stick to their guns, the reason that they hold on to evolution is because if they deny evolution, then the other option is that God exists and God put us here. But let me qualify that very quickly. There are some Christians who believe that evolution happened. They believe that evolution happened and how did it happen? Yes, it's impossible, but God made it happen, you know, and therefore they'll say, I believe that evolution happened because God made it possible. Well, I'm going to talk about that and I'm going to talk about why I reject that very quickly here. Turn with me in your Bibles to Romans chapter 5, And we're going to start with verse 12, going down to verse 15. Romans chapter 5, verse 12 says, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam until Moses, even over those who had not sinned in the likeness of the offense of Adam, who is the type of him who was to come, and that is Jesus, verse 15. But the free gift is not like the transgression, for if by the transgression of the one the many died, much more did the grace of God and the gift by the grace of one man, Jesus Christ, abound to the many. Now this passage is obviously speaking of Adam as a literal man. And that's consistent with the whole Bible. The whole Bible treats Adam as if he was a real man. When you look at the genealogies in the Old Testament, 
Adam is always at the head of that chart. And in the New Testament, in the genealogy from Luke, we find in chapter 3, verse 37, that it all traces back to Adam as well. Throughout the Bible, Adam is treated as a literal man. But back to Romans chapter 5, verses 12 through 15. If we're going to presuppose that Adam was not a literal man, then we also can't take that Jesus was a literal man. Because it says right here in verse 15, if by the transgression of the one, the many died, the transgression of the one, who's the one? The one is Adam. It's referring back to verse 14. If by the transgression of one, many died, much more did the grace of God and the gift by the grace of one man, Jesus Christ, abound of many. If we're going to take the one, Adam, as being figurative and not a literal person, then we also have to take Jesus as being figurative and not a literal person. And this is absolutely ridiculous. You can't say that one's figurative and one's literal, because there is a parallelism here. If one is literal, the other has to be literal. If one is figurative, the other one has to be figurative. And you can read the whole Bible, you can find a lot of cases of parallelisms, and that's one of the things that we do when we interpret scripture. We look for little things like that. And that's how we know whether something is figurative or literal. So if you're going to take the Bible and be honest with the text, I think you have to take Adam as a literal man. Now, of course, the non-Christian isn't going to take the Bible as being literal. They're not going to take the Bible as being accurate, and that's fine. They're going to think that evolution is what happened, and if we can show them that evolution is not how we got here, they'll hopefully be open to other suggestions, and we can bring this in there and say, you know, this is what the Bible says happened, and this is why we believe that this is a literal event at the beginning of Genesis. Now, I have already taken up enough of your time today. I hope you have enjoyed today's podcast. I hope you've learned from it. I hope you've had some questions answered. I know that for years, evolution is something I struggled with, and that's why I've done all this research. That's why I know why exactly I stand against evolution, because it's not scientifically, geologically, biologically, or biblically viable as an option. So go ahead and download this podcast and let your friends listen to it. If you have friends who believe in evolution, by all means, allow them to listen to this podcast. Get their mind thinking. Get This is one way that you can get the ball rolling. But God bless you guys. Thank you so much for listening today. Again, I hope you've enjoyed it. I hope you've been blessed by it. I will see you guys on Monday where we'll start with Romans chapter 2. And don't forget on Friday, Justin will be continuing his study through the book of John. God bless you guys. Have a great week.